0: This is a very, very special day for each of our uh, Emmanuel families in different locations because this day it's like a baby dedication day. A baby dedication is celebrating all that's to come, a wedding is celebrating what's to come, and in Elk River it's our grand opening this morning. And so I want to call each of our campuses in Spring Lake Park and Maple Grove to kind of direct your attention to all of our family up in Elk River this morning as we think about them and celebrate what's about to happen. In fact, on all of our campuses, could you stand with me today? We're going to pray for our new family members up in Elk River. It's the grand opening of Emmanuel Elk River. We're so excited about it. Very, very, very excited. And... uh, Pastor Brian and Joy, we're so excited for you and we're excited for all that's happening there and as the team, Emmanuel, is coming together, we cannot be more proud of what God is doing and we're anticipating great things ahead and we want you to know that we're behind you and uh, we're behind everything that is happening and of course right now on a weekend like this, our youth ministry is uh, out of town at Avalanche for a camp But Avalanche and and youth ministry is all connected between Maple Grove and Elk River and Spring Lake Park. Our kids are out there as hundreds of teenagers meeting Jesus right now. And it's exciting because we get to do these kind of things together. And I just want to begin by praying. And Pastor Brian, if you could be in front of the room with the rest of the congregation there in Elk River, we want to pray for you. And uh, if you can, just lift your hands up like you're just praying right now with me. Jesus, we come before you and we lift up holy hands in prayer, as the scripture says. And we ask, oh God, that you, Lord, would look the direction of Elk River. We pray, God, that you would turn your face and begin to smile. And that, Lord, that you'd smile on the people there, that you'd smile on those that are plugging in those that have heard the tug and the whisper of God to go and be a part of Team Emmanuel there but also would you begin to move in the communities and the neighborhoods in the 5 and 10 and 15 mile radius around there would you reach people who aren't in church would you begin to touch families and individuals and kids in ways that only you can do and draw them from the north and the south and the east and the west and we pray for a move of God in Elk River we pray God this, the best would be yet to come and that this would just be the beginning of great things that are ahead in Jesus name and then we pray God together for all, at all of our campuses for our teenagers as they're coming home today we pray God that you continue to bring a move of God to the next generation Lord that there be a move of God in, in our youth ministry our kids ministry and our kids would know their God and they would do great things with them I pray in Jesus name Lord we give you all the credit all the honor all the glory in the name of Jesus and everyone said Amen. Give the Lord a great, great, big praise this morning. Good things are around the corner. You may be seated. You may be seated. Well, today we're beginning with Connect Part One. As I dive into a series, often you're sitting back going, what is he doing? What is he talking about? And I have uh, the privilege of kind of shaping the why behind what I'm talking about. The word Connect is is a word that God dropped in my heart one year ago. And, uh, and it was a, heart, a word for Emmanuel for all of 2017. And as I was praying and I was thinking about the many people in our church, I was considering those that would attend and those that would sit perhaps in, in a worship service in any of our locations. And I was thinking about the individuals. I was thinking about the marriages. I was thinking about the families. Think about very valuable people. God cares about the people that are sitting next to you, whether you're in the balcony in Spring Lake Park or you're sitting in Elk River or you're sitting in Maple Grove. and It doesn't matter where you are. God cares about you. But if you're going to make it in the journey, if you're going to make it in the long haul with your faith, if you're going to discover the joy that God has to offer you, it's going to require you being connected to others in the body of Christ. It's going to demand that you be connected to the purposes that God has for you. This is not theater religion, folks. it's, It's connection to people. You belong in the body, and you have a place, you have a purpose, you have a destiny on your life. And if you don't find connection with other people in the body of Christ, then you will slip away. It's like the parable that Jesus talked about where the seed fell on the ground, but if it didn't find good soil, if it wasn't interconnected with other root systems, it didn't last. And it's the desire of my heart that all of us not drift away. Some of you perhaps have been a part of church more recently, my desire is that you not just be here for a month or two, but that you find your home and that you find this to be the place that you plan and for you to find relationships and purpose and connection so that when the hard times come, you've got a family to fight with you, that you're not alone, that you can make it on the journey. That's the desire of my heart. And when it comes to connection, I want to see us connected. So we're just going to start off in the series today. And I have a, a, a puzzle on the uh, platform here. It's a puzzle, a 4,000-piece puzzle of the globe, of the world. How many of you have ever putting together a 4,000-piece puzzle? It's pretty intricate. Uh, I have some fond memories when I was growing up. My grandma Clark, um, my parents would take us out to see grandma and grandpa Clark in Goodland, Kansas, a little town in northwestern Kansas. And we would stay with my grandparents, and my grandparents were awesome. My grandma prayed for me every day of my life. I mean, she's just an amazing woman of God. And she made some amazing strawberry rhubarb jelly. Let me tell you, I just kept making biscuit after biscuit after biscuit just so I could put some jelly on it. It was so, so good. Well, uh, Grandma, one of the things that she did, Grandma Clark, is she did puzzles. She'd have them on the coffee table in the living room, she had them on the kitchen table. she so had these puzzles just laid out there, and, uh, and I, I can recall her being patient and putting it together, and uh, so puzzles kind of have a, a good picture in my mind. This particular puzzle is intricate, and uh, it's a cool picture, and it's a lot like our lives. Our lives are one piece of a very big picture. Maybe when you came to faith in Christ, you saw the picture on the front, and you're like, that's that's what I want. I want that life. But then you discovered that when you open it up and uh, you look at the puzzle, you're just one of many puzzle pieces. And it's a little bit more like not the picture on the front, but just gets dumped out on the table. And uh, so instead of, instead of the picture, you feel like you're stuck as one of these pieces. How many know what I'm talking about? And by the way, that has uh, application to so many different things in your life. I know that when people are growing and they're young adults, and people ask you, "So, what are you going to be when you grow up? What are you going to do?" And they're like, "I don't know. I just want to have fun," you know. Or um, later on in life, and your empty nest season or whatever, and you're like, "I feel like I'm still just one of those pieces, and I don't have the picture put together." And uh, And when you look at the puzzle pieces and it gets put out, these are 4,000 pieces. There can be frustration when you first start to try to put together. How many of you are like me? You look for the ones that have like the edge, the straight edge on the side. You start with the easy ones, right? And then you look for the colors that are similar and try to put those all together and you get there. But then you reach a point when it's not easy anymore. And uh, I remember my grandma just staring there for 20 minutes with her coffee in her hand, and she was more patient than I am, you know? I'm taking pieces. I'm going, I can't take it anymore. I'm going to make this one work, <laughs> you know? <laughs> Some of us do that with our lives. Can't wait anymore, and we just try to make something work, and it doesn't work out. And uh, here's, here's where the frustration sets in. When we look at it, and it doesn't feel like it should feel, like things aren't where they should be. I'm not living in the the front-of-the-box picture. And we get disgusted with the moment. And we think, this isn't the way it should be. I feel like everything should be connected. It should make sense. And we get frustrated when things are disconnected. I shouldn't have to deal with this. We think there's no way my final picture will look like the one in the front of the box. Honestly. That emotion of this isn't the way it should be is a picture of our social discourse in America right now. People are angry with everything. Referee calls at the ball game. Oh, come on! That's not right! Results of elections and decisions of political leaders. And we don't like something, we post it on Facebook and find some fake news to back us up. Hello. Parents are angry with schools and employees are angry with their company and Christians are angry with anyone that doesn't agree with them. Sports and politics become places we can push our anger to. See, in reality, many of us are feeling what we used to call dist. Dysfunctional, disunity, disapproval, discontent. Despair, distrust, disharmony, disillusion, disaster. And that anger kind of wells up within us. We don't know what to do about it. We're frustrated. This isn't the way it should be. And I would say that anger that's in us is disconnecting us more and more from others. The more we protest, the more we yell. The more we're mad, the more we point fingers, the more disconnected we're becoming. It's affecting our health. Stress is going in and turning into sicknesses and ulcers and bitterness. It's affecting our health. It's affecting our relationships. and Bridges are being burnt and marriages are being separated. And parents and their kids are being separated and coworkers and supervisors I like to say that if you put a d in front of the word anger you get what danger we are a nation that is in danger right now and Ephesians chapter 4 verse 26 says this don't sin by letting anger control you don't let the sun go down while you are still angry for anger gives a foothold to who to who Now, this is interesting because we've got a lot of anger. I'm not saying that you can't be angry, but it says don't let that anger control you. And if you don't let control it, if you don't get ahead of it, if you don't let anger take you over, you're going to be all right. But if you don't, you do let it go, the devil is going to find his way in. Ultimately, this is what we need to know, that the puzzle creator sees us. He knows where you are. He's interested in you making it, not in losing it. and you can find connection in your picture. You can find and be connected to God. you can be connected to His purpose, and you can be connected to the body of Christ. Now this whole series, we're going to let the book of Ephesians, or the letter to the Ephesians, be our backdrop to the series. I want you to hold your Bibles up if you got it. Let me see your Bibles electronic and regular. One of the things that is going to be important for you as we move along in this series, I want you to read through Ephesians as many times as you can. Read a chapter a day or whatever you can. Actually read through it because in the book of Ephesians, Paul is speaking to an area that is dealing with anger. They had anger from the Roman Empire controlling groups of people. They had social classes that were bitterly fighting one another. They had uh, ethnic groups that were fighting one another. And Paul pens Ephesians and he begins, there's a progression to Ephesians. He begins by talking about Jesus being the great connector. And pulling everything together. And then once you understand that, he moves along into chapter 3 and chapter 4. And he begins to talk about how we are to be connected in the body of Christ. If we're connected to him, he pulls things together. We're connected to the body of Christ. We are connected to the resources that he has available. And then he gives us instructions, practical connections to the people around us. Things like parent child relationships and boss employee relationships and relationships with people around you. And he talks about harmony in your relationships, fruit of the spirit when people attack you, power to fight in spiritual warfare. All of that begins in chapter one. That's where I'm going to start today. Turn with me to Ephesians chapter one, verse nine is where I'll begin. Paul is speaking and he's talking about all of the danger, if you will, all of the disconnection, and then he says this, right in the middle, there's a great mystery. Verse nine, God has now revealed to us his mysterious plan regarding Christ, a plan to fulfill his own good pleasure. And this is the what? The what? The plan. I want you to understand, God has a plan. It's crazy right now out there, but God has a plan. Your family might be all dysfunctional and fighting one another, but God has a plan. You might be confused about where you're going with your life and trying to make sense of everything around you. You need to know God has a plan. Turn to the person next to you and say, God has a plan. Verse 10, and this is the plan. At the right time, he will bring everything together. Everybody said together 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 under the authority of Christ, everything in heaven and on earth. Furthermore, because we are united with Christ, we have received an inheritance from God, for he chose us in advance, and he makes everything work out according to what? His plan. Now, here's an interesting thing. See, Jesus pulls the puzzle pieces together and he has a plan and he chose us to be a part of the plan. It's not gonna remain a pile on the table forever, but if we trust Jesus, he has a way to make all things work together for the good of those that love him. I love this. I love the old bumper stickers that used to say, no, Jesus, and oh, Jesus, and you have no peace. But if you throw a K in there, If you know Jesus, what? You'll know peace. That's the difference in life. When we can be connected to Jesus, there is a difference with him and without him. We need him with us in our story. Today, what I want to do is I want to look at a personal story, a story of an individual in scripture who was connected, lost his connection to God, and then regained it again. And it's His name is David. Turn with me to 2 Samuel chapter 11. It's in the Old Testament. One of the great figures of all of the Bible, David, as a little boy, was a shepherd out in the field, and he would sing to God, and he would sing to God about everything, and he would take care of sheep. And while he would sing, his songs were his journal, and many of those songs became a part of the Bible, and they're known as the book of Psalms. And David would talk to God. He had a pure heart. And then God anointed him through Samuel earlier in the story. And he says, you're going to be a king. But he doesn't become a king right away. In fact, it's a couple decades later that he actually becomes the king. And in between, he went through great turmoil in his life, where the pile on the table felt like nothing made sense. And finally, he becomes the king. And by the time we reach him here in 2 Samuel chapter 11, He has now reached the fulfillment of his dreams. Everything has worked out, but in David, he's lost something. He has lost his uh, focus in on connection to God, and he's lost his connection to himself in the process, and he's lost connection and will begin to lose connection to the people around him. You ready for this? Here we go. In verse 1, in the spring of the year, When kings normally go out to war. Now this is commentary here, by the way. Kings normally are out to war here. David sent Joab and the Israelite army to fight the Ammonites. They destroyed the Ammonite army and laid siege to the city of Rabbah. However, David stayed behind in Jerusalem. So you're catching the picture? David should be going out to war because that's what kings do. That was his calling. That was his identity. That was what God wanted him to do, okay? But instead, David sends somebody else because, in effect, David's kind of saying, I'm too tired. It's time for somebody else to do it. I need a break. None of you have ever said something like that, have you? I just need a break. Somebody else needs to do the right thing. Somebody else needs to walk through this. I I, I need a break from this. So he stays back, okay? And David was slowly drifting from his purpose, his calling. By the way, when people walk away from God, it's usually not instantaneous, it's usually a process over time, drifting. Now, in the summertime here in Minnesota, we like to go to the lake sometimes. How many of you have ever been on a raft or a boat that's just drifting in the lake? And uh, I've been on one of those uh, floaty things, putting my head back, trying I was falling asleep. I didn't feel like I was moving anywhere, right? But all of a sudden, I opened my eyes, and I don't know how much time had gone by, but I had gone from one side of the lake to the other side of the lake. Because I was drifting, I didn't feel it. David was drifting. He, he didn't even realize he had moved away. His heart had drifted from the very source of his victories, the very one that he was connected to in the field. And he was, in a sense, in a midlife crisis. Friends, listen to this. When you leave your purpose, everything else in your life is at risk. When you leave your purpose... Everything else in your life is at risk. There is something tying our life to the purposes that God put on our life, that reason that we were born, to love other people, to take care of of the mission of God, to to be a light, uh, to be salt in the earth, as Jesus called us. When we leave that, even if it's for a break, we are at risk. Not just with the big things. But even with practical things, parents in here, listen to me. When you start on the journey with your kids and you look at them in the birthing room, I remember when son number one came. And I looked at him as the most spiritual moment of my life. I was wrecked. I had tears running down my face. I couldn't believe that I was responsible for this little child. And I'm like, I remember coming home from the, the hospital, I saw drivers different. Every one of them was an enemy, <laughs> keeping my kid from being safe, you know. I was, I was just in, right? And then over time, we've had four sons now, and as they've grown, uh, each stage of the journey required different parenting from Jody and I. By the time they got to be in, in teenage years, now all of them are at least teenagers, We had to engage less than we did before. When they were little toddlers, we couldn't have a conversation with other adults. It was like trying to look to make sure that they didn't run into the street or tear something up or or drink a bottle of something they shouldn't drink or whatever it may have been. Early on, it required way more attention. Now, as we're older, they've got car keys. They're driving for themselves. I don't have to worry about them. But let me tell you this. Teenagers... Don't all of a sudden one day walk into the house and say, Mom, Dad, sit down. I want to tell you something. I'm really struggling with my relationships, and I need some wisdom from you. That's not how it works, right? (laughs) The way that it works, the way that it works is they're really bothered, and it's that one moment, and they don't know when it's going to come, and you don't, and you're staring at your phone at Facebook, and they're trying to get their way in, and you only got that one moment. And you're like, "Uh uh-huh, uh-huh, but you're not listening to them. They say, fine, and they go off to their room. Drifting doesn't mean that you all of a sudden become a serial killer. But your heart has a capacity to wander. That's why Jesus said to the church in Revelation, I have this against you, that you have left your first love. Somehow we can drift away, and that's where David was. And he was in danger because of that. Verse 2, late one afternoon, after his midday rest, David got out of bed and was walking on the roof of the palace. And as he looked out over the city, he noticed a woman of unusual beauty taking a bath. He sent someone to find out who she was, and he was told, she is Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, and the wife of Uriah the Hittite, and then David sent messengers to get her, and when she came to the palace, he slept with her. This is a low point in David's life, the lowest point of his life, because his drift has put himself in a place of vulnerability, and instead of doing what he should be doing, he had time to just observe. It's the equivalent of somebody going on their laptop late at night when everybody else is in bed and looking at websites that you should not be looking at. It's the draw. It's not, you're not worse than anybody else. You're not um, somehow uh, a, a bad DNA. It's the timing and the place. You should be one place. Because you're not there, you are now vulnerable in that other place. And David's heart had so far drifted that he had lost his boundaries. One of the boundaries was you don't approach a married woman in any way like this to come in and sleep with you. She was married to someone else. It broke God's law, a law that David once cared deeply about. He ran past that boundary. Not only did he do that, but he destroyed this woman's world he was the king. She couldn't refuse the king's uh, demand for her to come over. Here, poor Bathsheba had to come over to the king's palace, and if she refused, she didn't know if she'd lose her life. Meanwhile, she knows her husband's in the battle doing what King David should be doing, and here she's stuck. David's unraveling is not only internal for himself, it's beginning to affect other people. You need to know this. All disconnection from God results in broken relationships. You can't fix it by just filling it with other people. I've heard people say, you know, I'm tired of the church. I'm sick of Christians. I'm giving up on God. And that's one thing. You can be gone from church. You can be gone from Christians. You can shake your fist at God. But you cannot shake your fist at God without it affecting your relationships with other people. It will always affect your relationship with other people. Because he is the connector. He's the one that knows how to connect you with other people. He's the one that created the puzzle. He's the one that knows how to put things together again. So David... Hears that she's pregnant, and he tries to cover it up by calling Uriah home from the battlefront. And Uriah comes back and he tries to set it up so that David does so that Uriah gets alone with his wife, but he refuses. Uriah says, I can't do that. All my men are with their spouses, they're out to war. He was an honorable man, just as David once was. So Uriah goes back to battle, and then David sets it up so that Uriah would be killed in battle. It's equivalent to setting up a murder. He's murdered and then David marries Bathsheba. And David thinks he's getting away with it and God sends the prophet Nathan. I like that name. He sends the prophet Nathan and Nathan begins to shape a story that David realizes, no, that's not a right thing to do. That's horrible. That's awful. You can't do that. And Then Nathan takes his finger out and he points his finger right at David and he says, you are the man I'm talking about, it was as if God was pointing his finger right directly at David. David has a choice to make at this point. Will I continue to cover up? Will I push the prophet out or will I repent? And he repents and he bows his heart before God and God does a miracle internally inside of him, but there is still destruction on the outside for the baby dies. And there's hurt and dysfunction that's brought to David's family. And his drift has created all kinds of half-brothers and sisters that don't know how to relate to one another. David's kids inherited dysfunction and ultimately hurting their relationships with each other. See, you can't handle your stress alone. It will spill out. Pride will blind you to the hurt that you're causing other people. Frustration and anger can destroy hope that something good can still happen. And the result is bitterness and separation from others. We can look for replacements to fill the void to what only we can find in God. And some people are living in the result of a bad trade. Your trade was for other things to heal your relationships. You thought you could pay for your marriage to be healed by buying gifts but gifts aren't what's going to put it back together again. Putting your life back together again by chasing one thing after another, you've got to come back to God or it just won't work. And when we're disconnected from God, it results in disconnection in relationships because our hearts become connected to bitterness and pride and immorality. Now, this could be the lowest of the low moments, and we could feel as though this is all it's ever going to be, But for David, he gives us great hope. See, David sits down and he begins to talk to God. He's not hiding from it anymore. And he realizes, I need to get things right with the great connector, the creator, the puzzle maker. I need to be connected and right with him. Then everything else can be taken care of. He doesn't start with trying to fix his relationships. He starts with going back to God. And I want you to turn with me to Psalm chapter 51. Because you will see what he talked to God about. He sang this psalm to God. If you've never seen this before, this psalm is, and even may say it in your Bible, was a song after he sinned with Bathsheba that he sings to God. And I want you to catch what he does because it's a powerful opportunity. I'm not saying that people hear that you've sinned and you've jumped off the deep end or anything else. But I am saying this. If you follow David's pathway, you will find a pathway to health in your relationships all around you because you're connecting with your creator. Look at this. I'm going to read it. Psalm 51. Have mercy on me, O God, because of your unfailing love, because of your great compassion, blot out the stain of my sins. "'Wash me clean from my guilt. "'Purify me from my sin, for I recognize my rebellion. "'It haunts me day and night. "'Against you and you alone have I sinned. "'I have done what is evil in your sight. "'You will be proved right in what you say, "'and your judgment against me is just. "'For I was born a sinner, yes, From the moment my mother conceived me, but you desire honesty from the womb, teaching me wisdom even there. Purify me from my sins, and I will be clean. Wash me, and I will be whiter than snow. Oh, give me back my joy. Again, come on, somebody. Give it back. You have broken me. Now let me rejoice. Don't keep looking at my sins. Remove the stain of my guilt. Verse 10, create in me a clean heart, O God. Renew a loyal spirit within me. I love that language. Create in me. Renew the spirit in me. Verse 11, do not banish me from your presence and don't take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and make me willing to obey you. Then I will teach your ways to rebels and they will return to you. Forgive me for shedding blood, O God who saves. Then I will joyfully sing of your forgiveness. Unseal my lips, O Lord, that my mouth may praise you. You do not desire a sacrifice, or I would offer one. You do not want a burnt offering. The sacrifice you desire is a broken spirit. You will not reject A broken and repentant heart, O God. And verse 18 says this look with favor on Zion and help her, rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. This is a powerful psalm. And friends, I want you to catch what David is doing here. He's he's shutting everybody else out of the equation. He's not blaming his mom. He's not blaming somebody that caused him to be angry. He's not blaming the the brothers that rejected him when he was younger. He's not pointing the finger at Saul, who he had to work under and cast spears at him. He's not blaming, blaming, blaming for all of the disconnection in his life. What he starts with is humility. And he says, oh God, it's between me and you. Francis is a great starting point. If you want health in your connections, in your relationships, in your life, if you want God to bring health to your soul and you want it to be healthy between you and those that you love and those that maybe you have to be around on a daily or a weekly basis, it always needs to start with bowing your knee and recognizing I humble myself before you, God. It's between me and it's between you. It's you. This is where it starts. We can talk about behaving right later on. We can talk about kind words and Ephesians 4, 29, doing things and saying things that are helpful to others. But you can't get there if you don't start with the humility of understanding. It's between me and God first. And when you humble yourself, there's a powerful truth. He takes those things which are broken and unformed and he puts them together. He's the puzzle maker. It's what he did in Genesis chapter one, where it says that the spirit of the Lord was hovering over the waters and the earth was formless and void. It wasn't made up of anything yet. And David says, in me a clean heart. It's just like creation. There was nothing there, but the spirit of the Lord was hovering over the waters like an incubator to create an environment for new things to develop, a new life, a new spring, if you will. And land came up and animals were formed and trees were formed and mountains and hills and valleys. And and God created something out of nothing. And then he took the dirt and he blew into the dirt and gave man life. That's the creative God we serve when we humble ourselves under the mighty hand of God. He hovers over the top of us just as he did the earth, and he can create a clean heart. If you feel like your heart is broken, that all you've ever known is dysfunction, listen to me. Your hope is not in just going to the counselor or reading the right book. It starts with coming before the creator, and you say, create in me. A clean heart, oh God. That's where it starts. I'm not blaming anybody else. I'm starting with me. And when you do that, He enables you to see Zion or Jerusalem and the walls be rebuilt and for the relationships to come back together again. Every one of us can do this. We can update our heart's connection to Jesus. This isn't a message only for those that are downtrodden and far away and cold in spirit. It's for those of you that have been serving the Lord for a long time. We do not want to become like David, where we think it's our time to take a break, step out, get away from things, because we're then in danger. But instead, to remind ourselves, no matter how old we are, if we're 10 or 20, or 50 or 70 or 90, oh God, created me a clean heart. Created me something that's so special and connected And if we stay connected to him, he's the one that helps us with the relationships around us. Cooperate with God's plans. He's calling on your life. Ask him to put your puzzle together. Create in me a clean heart, oh God. Renew a loyal spirit within me. He can create new attitudes, harmony, and peace. Instead of blowing up on the people around us, He could help us become the ones that speak life instead of death to those around us. Would you stand with me today?